This is George the Animal Steel. Don't touch that dial. I'll hurt your finger. It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast. Are you ready to beat the man? You have to beat the man. Steve Credo and Jonathan Benjamin. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another wrestling podcast. This is episode 60. I'm Steve Credo. And I'm Jonathan Benjamin. Jonathan, we have another amazing show today. Uh, I, I say it a lot, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be the best show yet. I'm going to hold you to that, Jonathan, because today we have on a WWE legend. He is none other than George the Animal Steel. Uh, hold the turnbuckles, Jonathan, because I think he's hungry today. Well, we need to watch out uh, for George. Hopefully he behaves himself today. Um, if you're listening to this right now, you need to know that you can meet George, you can meet us, you can meet Bill Goldberg, Jim Ross, Maria Kanellis, and so many more on June 26th and June 27th live in Providence, Rhode Island for the New England Fan Fest. So many great things happening there. There's going to be a dinner and all kinds of stuff. Get on NewEnglandFanFest.com to buy your tickets. Uh, you will see us, like I said, and that's reason enough to go. That's right. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our friends over at Collector's Realm over in Fishkill, New York. Uh, they will be having the animal in the store on June 28th. So if you're in the Northeast and you're looking for some awesome collectibles, guys, head on over to the CollectorsRealm.net and visit them at the Duchess Marketplace on June 28th because George the Animal Steel will be there live and in person kissing babies and shaking hands and all that fun stuff so come on down and say hi you know we like to do a lot of research before we get to an actual show and talk to a guest so as i was researching i found out that george the animal steel was actually a licensed teacher hmm. uh he was teaching and wrestling kind of at the same time i can't imagine walking into class and that being my teacher but um <laughs> We have some pretty unique jobs as well, and uh, I was thinking today that we should talk about jobs and wrestling, but I was wondering how you thought our jobs would relate to a gimmick in the wrestling world. That's a good question, Jonathan. Well, let's see. Uh, you're a farmer, so uh, you could be like the next Godwin kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love that idea, but um, <laughs> yours, yours may be a little more difficult. You are uh, a big shot in the city. Uh, you work for uh, one of those big companies, and uh, you do a lot of stuff with film and editing and stuff. So I'm thinking, uh, stop me if you've heard this, but GTV. Like, we never found out what happened. For all we know, you could be the mastermind behind GTV. I, I like it. Maybe we could just start doing it CTV, like Credo Television. All right. Something all right. that works. I like it. It's, I, I feel you. So there's been a lot of full-time jobs in the wrestling world. It's hard enough to have one job, a wrestler, but uh, some of these guys had 
uh, numerous jobs as well. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we highly suggest that you guys be very social media active with this show. Tell us some of your favorite wrestlers that had another job outside of the wrestling ring. Um, you can follow us, like us, tweet us, all that stuff. So let us know that you're listening to the show and uh, and give us some great wrestling jobs. So, Steve, right off the bat, the one that always gets me, it's got to be Duke the Dumpster Drosy. <laughs> yes, the trash man, Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Uh, in the time where he came from, it was a time of light heart gimmicks, lighter heart gimmicks, uh, and jobs, kind of, pretty much. And, you know, uh, when it comes down to it, you, you needed a trash man. You needed Duke the Dumpster to, to, to carry out the trash. Uh, but it, it was good. I mean, I liked it. I didn't I didn't really mind Duke the Dumpster Drosy. I, I was a fan of his. Um, he was a, I don't know. I think he could have had a lot more potential if he wasn't a trash man, though. But, I mean, hey, someone's got to do the job, right? Yeah, and I just remember the promos where he was saying things like, <laughs> it's... It's time to take out the trash in the WWF at the time. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is so cheesy. But I loved it. Um, and I hadn't, you know, he had a, a brief stint in the WWF then. But he came back at the Gimmick Battle Royal at WrestleMania 17, and it was pretty amazing. So uh, I, I will always have fond memories of, of the dumpster. And um, is there anybody that you are specifically thinking about that had a, had a job that, you know, wasn't necessarily fitting for the the world of wrestling. <laughs> well, uh, one guy that stands out to me would be the Repo Man, uh, former former demolition uh, superstar. But uh, it, the Repo Man was kind of it, it totally reminded me of the Hamburglar from McDonald's. Like he just I don't know he had that little snarky laugh and you know it was just like I said this is another this is the same time you know the land of the gimmicks land of that you know the early 90s uh time late 80s whatever you know it, it was a lot of silly jobs but uh, you know somebody's got to repossess the stuff that you don't pay for Jonathan so we had the repo man going around uh and you know doing his job I I think that my favorite part about the repo man other than the laugh that you mentioned was the <laughs> fact that he had on his gear like tire tracks like yeah. Like he'd been ran, ran over, and I never—I mean, I never really understood that because if he was trying to like blend in, like because he had the Hamburglar mask on, I don't think that um, that would help him blend in unless he was indeed laying on the pavement. So um, I, I think he had another gimmick in WCW where he was like a a caddy or a golfer. So I, I, I think he just couldn't get away from these these odd jobs that he was working whenever he was in the wrestling ring. So uh, yeah, the Repo Man uh, got a, got a couple action figures out of the deal, so uh, it can't be all bad for the the Repo Man. That's right. Now, Jonathan, uh, so we, we got a Trash Man, we got a Repo Man. Uh, what else is there? I mean, there's a, there's definitely a lot more jobs uh, uh, that we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is more recent times, but we already talked about how George Animal Steel was a teacher, but um, also Matt Stryker. He was a, uh, a licensed teacher here in the Northeast, and he actually was teaching, and they found out about it, and I think that he either got let go or he kind of you know dismissed himself, but um, – <laughs> You know, he he had his own talk segment there where he had the, it was Mr. Stryker's classroom. Um, so you know, there's always a room 
or there's always room for a teacher, I guess, in the in the world of wrestling. That's right. Now, Jonathan, I mean, from teachers to trash men to repo men, uh, there were some sport figure guys in there, too. That, well, it's still a job, you know. You could be an athlete and a wrestler. Well, you know, you are an athlete and wrestler, but you know what I mean. Uh, but there was, there was one guy who really didn't get quite the spotlight as uh, many others uh, – have and I'm talking about the goon, Jonathan, the old oh, hockey wow. player, the goon. Uh, now, th- like I said, this is a time to I keep going back to it to where it was, you know, there's a lot of lighthearted gimmicks and people, you know, everybody had a different uh, a job, uh, you know, a career path they took and that they're also a pro wrestler. So on the side, the goon was a hockey player wrestling in his hockey hockey boots without or hockey skate boot or I don't even know how to say it skates without a skate on the bottom I guess I mean uh that would be hard enough to wrestle in cuz they don't bend really so uh I don't know did you did you ever care about the goon I mean he didn't he was a flash in the pan I kind of think You know I I always felt bad for him because he's wearing all those pads and stuff and he was always you know he's like a a perfect stereotype for a hockey player. He, he would come in and like, you know, pull the shirt over the guy's back and like beat him up kind of like, uh, you know, Adam Sandler did and happy Gilmore. But, um, Bill Irwin, the gentleman who portrayed the goon was, you know, he was a well-known wrestler in the WCCW. He was, you know, wild Bill Irwin and he was awesome. So I felt bad whenever he got stuck with that gimmick. Um, but sadly to say, the wrestling fans and all the you know network specials and all that stuff don't really show him in in that great of a light. But uh, yeah, I think that that was kind of I think that was probably during a time when hockey maybe had been great gaining popularity, and so Vince was like, "Well, we can't have this. We've got to make fun of hockey." So <laughs> the goon, uh, uh, the goon, the the goon lives. But um. One of the all-time great uh, jobs, unless you were on the bad end of that, was uh, IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. He was the tax man, and I just remember, you know, the him by himself was good, but then they added, you know, the addition of the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and Money, Inc. was, was formed. So I loved it. I think that they're one of the best tag teams ever. And it was just so cheesy, and like his his finishing maneuver for IRS was called the write off, which <laughs> I thought was like the greatest thing ever. So, um, as I don't like the taxman, three hundred and sixty four days out of the year, unless I get a refund. But I loved IRS three hundred and sixty five days a year. Definitely, and you know that's like you said too. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth with him working with a million dollar man. I mean, alone, IRS was, was all right, but I don't think he would have lasted if they didn't team him up with the Million Dollar Man. Because, I mean, your money and taxes, what a perfect combination. I mean, it, they could have went on forever. Uh, and that, like I said, you know, without the Million Dollar Man, I don't know how long IRS would have lasted as IRS. But, I mean, he sure did get a lengthy career uh, with that Million Dollar uh the man with, at his side, so they you know that worked out for him. Um, so we got tax men, we got hockey players, trash men. Uh, guys, if you're listening to us once again, I'm stressing it. Jonathan stressed it earlier. Social media, let us know at a wrestling pod, a wrestling pod on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com/slash another wrestling podcast. Tweet us, Facebook us, let us know what you thought. Uh, some of other jobs maybe we haven't mentioned yet. Um, you know, hey, we can't name them all. And we try, and we beg, and we plead to tell you 
to get in contact with us because we want to, you know, interact with you kids out there. So, uh, let us know. Uh, Jonathan, many jobs in the WWE at this time, many different gimmicks. You mentioned a teacher. Uh, one other gimmick I would like to mention is a Dean, Dean Douglas. Uh, many of you know him as the franchise from ECW who, uh, you know, didn't have that great of a career going in the WWE, but had a phenomenal career after the WWE. Uh, but Dean Douglas, Jonathan, uh, kind of reminded me almost like uh, our, our good buddy Lanny Poffo, the genius, to where he was a dean, he wore that, that school garb, you know. It's like, is he a school teacher? Is he like, I know he's a dean, but uh, you know what I mean, like the principal? Or I think he, was, he, he never really found his character uh, truly as Dean Douglas, and they don't, I don't think they really knew what to do with him. No, and I just remember him having like a paddle that had Dean on it, and he would always end his promo by running his nails across a chalkboard. So um, there was some very ridiculous, like stereotypical, once again, Dean things. Um, I don't know that they – obviously he was a good wrestler, but they should have just let him be – the franchise in the WWF, but at that time they were not pushing any boundaries. They weren't doing the attitude area yet. It was the, the early to the mid nineties when all these jobs ruled the, the world of professional wrestling. So, um, one that always got me was, and it was the gentleman who portrayed him, um, Mike Shaw, who was in WCW, who is also in WWE. Um, he came in, and everybody remembers him as Bastion Booger, um, which was just this big fat guy that would come out, and his theme music was literally like burps and farts. So uh, if you don't if you don't believe me, look it up on YouTube, kids. And uh, but he came in, and he also had a gimmick where he was Friar Ferguson. So he was just uh, a friar, like straight out of Robin Hood. You know, the brown cloak. He had a shaved head. I just don't understand because I don't think of friars as really violent people. So <laughs> I don't understand where they were going with that. But um, Friar Ferguson definitely is honorable mention for one of my favorite jobs in, in the world of wrestling. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because all I picture is a Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner to where uh, the guy who portrayed Friar Tuck, you know, they, they, they like messed with his beer or his wine or whatever. And then he just became like, you know. He, he turned, like, a little bit violent, so I think that was funny. That just reminded me of that. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, Jonathan, I mean, at the time, man, they were just throwing jobs onto any wrestler, pretty much. Like, you couldn't just be your own name. You couldn't be this, you know, like, Jeff Jarrett. You just couldn't be Jeff Jarrett. You had to be Double J, Jeff Jarrett, the country music singer. You know what I mean? To where they were just throwing out occupations left or right. Uh, I mean, at a, it's almost like... Th- at a time to where you think they would just run out of jobs, you know what I mean? Like you have you have a trash man, a rock star, a hockey player, a fryer, a teacher, you know, a tax man. Um, it, I wonder if there just came a point in time to where it's like, guys, I I I, I think we I think we did every job there could be. I don't I don't I don't know what to do next. I wonder if there was ever a conversation about that. Yeah, I think that happened right at the time when they said, "I've got an idea. We're going to make a dentist with." <laughs> But here's the kicker, everybody. I, we're going to say that he has really bad teeth, okay? So get it? He's a dentist, and his name will be Isaac Yankum, like Yankin teeth. And Vince probably gave that guy a standing ovation. Um, and then his theme music was just literally uh, like drills. I hated that. drilling. Yeah, it was so terrible. 
but yeah, I guess no no occupation was safe during that time period, and that obviously I don't think it worked out for that guy. Whoever played Isaac Jacob, I don't think anybody's seen him since then. So that's so probably... funny. Now, now that I think of everybody's theme music back in the day, like tugboat is a tugboat. Isaac yeah. Jacob was a drill. Diesel was a tra- uh, you know Diesel uh, the horn. Uh, yeah. was it, wasn't the Trashman's like a garbage truck backing up or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they were just like, man, this is the easiest day in the office yet. Or, you know, the music what, guy must what be should like, his theme crap. be? Well, what is he? <laughs> well, um, let's see here. He's hockey a, player he's was a, just like a hockey song. Uh, the goon was just like a hockey uh, dun, 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 or something like that, right? It was yeah. Just like, <laughs> man, the, the, the music guys back then must have just, you know been really pissed off because it's like they're really just trying to save money now and not to have anybody make any music for anybody and just just use the sounds of what they do and that's it man well could- you you mentioned earlier uh double j jeff jarrett obviously he was a singer um now we we're usually wwe heavy because that's what we know the best but um i'm gonna take you back to a time now this was the mid 90s this was later on when boy bands were roaming the earth uh we had backstreet boys we had nsync we had o-town and 98 degrees but in the land of wcw we also had three count sugar shane helms who later became the hurricane uh shannon moore and evan courageous um the three of them were in boy of this boy band called three count and they would come out and sing and they acted like they had a record deal and somehow tank abbott got involved in it it was just a a very strange time for for wcw and for the boy band and industry uh between shane helms and shannon moore it's just funny to think that where they started to where they went and and so on so uh man, if Shane Helms went from a boy band to a superhero. <laughs> so hey, I guess anything can happen in the world of pro wrestling and uh I don't think necessarily that anything should happen all the time to where they I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a time period, you know, like when you look back on it, it's like, oh haha, you know, it's it does it, it was fine then, but when you think about it like ten years later, you're like, wow, that was really cheesy to where I wonder what's going on right now that's just really that might just look really cheesy ten years from now. Um, I know that we don't really have a lot of jobs, uh, characters per se. Um, now it's just more about your name, kind of, and how you are almost as a as a person or a character. So I'd be curious to see if they, you know, kind of bring this back a little bit, little bit. Uh, you know, just giving other guys more little touches of, of jobs to where you're not necessarily, you know, a repo man, but maybe you're just like you, you, you I don't know. You're, you you steal cars or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? To where it's not necessarily a job per se, but it's part of your character. Um, you know what I mean? It's like that fine line of saying you're a trash man, but uh, you know, actually just seeing you taking out trash kind of thing. So. Yeah, I think that now, like with the the way the WWE is now, it's more about like where you're from, like. Now we know that Cesaro's from Swiss and we know or from Switzerland and we know that Neville's from right, yeah. Wales and we know that Ballers from Ireland and we know that Barrett's from, you know, United Kingdom as well. And so I think that it's more of that. Like it's gone the yeah. way of um, you know, where you're from instead of what you do. Um It's interesting. Some, yeah. 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 Some of these have kind of stood the test of time. Um Obviously, whenever the big boss man came in, and you want to talk about 
the greatest like theme music of all time, I highly suggest you listen to the Big Boss Man's <laughs> entrance and not the corporate Big Boss Man, which was just like dun 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 dun. Yeah, that was that was there. I'm talking about uh, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. When I was a kid, I always thought it was called Cop County, Georgia. Like, I didn't really get the Cobb part. I just, you know, I was, I don't know. I was young. I was a little kid. Uh, I just thought they were always saying Cop County. Like, oh, he's from Cobb County. Of course he's a cop, you know? Like, then I learned that it was Cobb County, and I was like, oh. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I went to several, uh, you know, vacations whenever I was younger down to Florida, and we would have to stop at, like, a rest stop near Cobb County, Georgia every time because I wanted to, like, take a picture by the sign. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, Jonathan wants to stop again. we got to get that <laughs> sign in for wherever the, the guy's located, the wrestler's located. That's great. We should – that would be good. We should maybe make a map of where all the st- yeah. all the stars go, and we'll just have them on our uh, – or where they originally build from, just to look at a map of where everybody's technically from, you know, just to see it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Trade, trademark, if you're trying to do it, which already trademarked by another wrestling podcast. Uh, Jonathan, once again, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com, the home of us, uh, the mothership of all of our stuff, guys. If you missed an episode, head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Check out all the other great shows. Leave comments. Uh, let us know what's up. And if you listen to a show, past or present, you know, comment tweet us facebook us let us know and we'll comment facebook and tweet you back and whatnot so it's always good hearing from everybody out there uh jonathan uh land of the jobs left and right but today joining us uh he kind of had one of the weird jobs if you want to explain this a little bit give me a little bit detail of uh who we're about to let into our studio as uh the animal well we have none other than george the animal steel Joining us today, as I mentioned, he was a actual teacher before he got into professional wrestling, and he made he started to make some money in in the wrestling business. So he was working kind of on the weekends as a wrestler, and then he became really really popular in wrestling. Um, he was also a coach; he coached football. And there's a, a stadium named after his his real name, Jim Myers. George the Animal Steel, amazing, amazing talent, WWE Hall of Famer, and WWE legend. So without further ado, let's talk to Mr. George the Animal Steel. His signature green tongue and animalistic behavior kept me up all night long as a child. Uh, He's an actor, an author, but you know him as an animal. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome George the Animal Steel. Hey, you... Well, I guess what I should say is it's George the Animal Steel, but also the gentleman who portrayed him, Mr. Jim Myers. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Uh, I've been blessed, believe me, in many ways. We will mention it a lot, but uh, we are based out of the Northeast, and there are some exciting events coming up that you'll be a part of. Uh, on June 27th, you'll be a part of the New England Fan Fest in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, have you attended many fan fests over the years? And what are your thoughts about you know meeting meeting the fans that you know grew up with you? Oh, I really enjoy it. Uh, I've done a lot of them. I haven't done any personal appearances the last year. I've had some health challenges. So I'm really uh, excited to be on cage to be back out there again. All right. Now, um, 
there's going to be a ton of people there, a ton of uh, of your old colleagues, people like Bret Hart, uh, Jim Ross, Bill Goldberg, and many others will be there. Uh, is there anybody that you know of that you're looking to to talk to again? Some of your old peers, maybe. Oh, you know, I, whatever happens, I'll be prepared to do it. All right. <laughs> now I'm more. Uh, I tell you, I'm more excited about seeing fans, really. All right. Uh, so for fans who can't make the trip to Rhode Island, uh, have no fear. Mr. Myers will also be at our friends uh, over at Collector's Realm doing a signing on June 28th at the Duchess Marketplace in Fishkill, New York. Uh, with things like uh, the WWE Encyclopedia and the WWE Network, do you get to meet fans that may have never uh, gotten to see you wrestle live before? You know what? I haven't ran into many of those. The little guys that come up and say, George... And I, uh, I look at them, they're seven or eight years old. I haven't really been on TV since 1989 uh, uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so I say, well, how do you know me? And they say, well, we play you in the video games. <laughs> I say, do you make me win? And a lot of them have the action figures and so on, you know, as collectors. So I talk about kids that are seven or eight, nine years old uh, are kind of up to date on, on uh, my character. That's uh, we do have to ask you. Do you spend any time watching wrestling today? Uh, not very often. Not very often. The business is a great business, but it's changed so much. It's not what we did. And uh, uh, back then, there was a lot of art in working the matches, and it's that art has been pretty much lost. Now it's pretty much uh, scripted all the way through. Now, um, you. Like you said, you don't watch it a lot, but I'm sure that there's some big names that pop out at you. Um, is there anybody that's wrestling now that you think could probably hang with you know you or any of the guys that you wrestled with back then? Yeah, I think, uh, in fact, one of the guys that is kind of a superstar right now, when he was about 12 years old, was right here in the living room with his mom and dad, uh, Randy uh, Orton. Oh, okay. <laughs> and wow. he's a pretty pretty talented young man that can, that can actually wrestle. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, not too long ago, you wrote an, uh, an autobiography of sorts entitled "Animal." Uh, did you feel uh, did you feel good to be able to get all that out on paper? Yeah, you know, it was very interesting because I my book is pretty much about uh, overcoming a lot of different handicaps. And uh, as I was writing the book, I started seeing my own life in the rearview mirror of life, and I could see how God was touching me before I ever really had accepted him. So it was really a touching experience for me. Now, uh, speaking of that book, we, you know, we read it and, uh, we think your story of how you got into professional wrestling is, is just fascinating. Um, would you care to share some of that with us? Well, it's kind of unbelievable. I, uh, I was not a wrestling fan. In fact, I never watched wrestling. I was a football <laughs> guy out of Michigan state and, uh, had blown my knee a little bit. So, uh, I had started teaching in 1961 for $4,300 a year. I had two children, a third one on the way, and my wife gave me that look, you know, like we need to eat. And uh, I was looking for a job as a bouncer in the bar with a friend of mine. It was good. I found out that you don't get hired if you're drinking some beer and have a buddy with you as a bouncer in a bar. So uh, about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, he talked me into calling the local promoter. He was a, My friend was a huge wrestling fan. So I called Bert Ruby, the Detroit promoter back in the day, and uh, woke him up, and strangely, he invited me over the next day. And from there, I started wrestling 
uh, under under a mask as a student. It took about uh, maybe three or four months to get acclimated in the gym and also to get uh, my tights and my my wrestling boots and all that stuff put together. And we were off and running around the Detroit area and Michigan area, a little bit in Indiana and a little bit in Ohio. Uh, as a student, I, I wore a mask and wore a cap and gown. And lo and behold, I started doing real well at that. Uh, you know, at, at that level and was getting a, a lot of work with a lot of great, great workers of the 50s and 40s. The guys like, you probably don't know them, but Leapin' Larry Shane and uh, uh, Lou Klein and and uh, Crusher Cortez. These are guys that were back then just monumental workers. So I learned from the best and then an opportunity came along and I ended up in Pittsburgh. Uh, Bruno Sammartino, you probably heard of him. Yep. Yeah. Came to Detroit uh, with an entourage. He was wrestling uh, Bulldog Brower. And they spotted me there, and I was invited to go to Pittsburgh to wrestle Bruno. Now, I think a lot of this was put together by a guy that was also one of my mentors, Gino Brito. And uh, so I went to Pittsburgh. I had my mask and cap and gown, and they said, no, no, we don't want that. We, uh, we want you. And I said, well, I don't want to use my real name. And so one of the fellows there said, well, this is a steel city. Let's call him Jim Steel. I said, I don't like the Jim Steel. Somebody else said George. So that part of my body is only about 43 years old now. <laughs> it was in 1967. Wow. Well, uh, there was also a part of the, the book that said that you were actually a, a teacher at that point, um, which is uh, just amazing to me to think that Back then, you were teaching and wrestling. Um, were there any challenges that you could see with doing both of those at the time? Well, the challenge all the time. I, I taught from 1961, and I retired from teaching in 19 January of 1960. I'm sorry, 80, 86. I wrestled from in the WWF and the, the Pittsburgh thing. Started in 1967, and I was there until uh, uh, 1989. But I was also a school teacher and coach at all that time. So you know, I I, I always looked at uh, my full-time job as teaching and coaching, and my part-time job that made it so that I could afford to teach and coach as my wrestling career. So it's a little bit backwards. Uh, most guys wrestle full-time. I did not do that. I'd go back and teach during the during the. Uh, school year and coach football and wrestling hmm. now uh, we, we just heard how you got the name george Steele, but uh how did you get the moniker the animal <laughs> have you ever seen a picture of me have you ever seen me in the ring oh yeah <laughs> i didn't know if there was maybe uh, another kind of a story about how, how it came about but <laughs> well, there is there is uh, when i first went to the northeast in the wwf they called me the detroit destroyer but because of the hair and what was going on in the ring, the fans started calling me an animal. <laughs> and I would get on the microphone, I'm not an animal, I'm a people. And, you know, I used to do my own interviews and talk and do all that wonderful stuff. <laughs> and uh, finally, the fans just got into the animal so strong that the WWE people woke up and decided that maybe they should call me George the Animal Steel. And that, 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 that stuck for a long time oh. until now. <laughs> um, now, so the two things that you're most known for in wrestling um, are the green tongue and you ripping apart and eating the turnbuckles. So we kind of have a two-part question here. Um, what did the turnbuckles taste like, and how long after your match did your tongue stay green? Well, you know, the tattoo lasts forever. 
And if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property for you in Kentucky. <laughs> All right. Perfect. I was looking then, into that. Uh, uh, actually, what happened was that no one, you know, back in those days, we didn't have a uh, creation team that decided, decided the personalities and so on and so forth. What happened with the Green Tongue is that I had a couple of drinks. I didn't want the promoter to know it. So I put a Clorets in my mouth. And went on live TV. Now, this is live TV, but it's just now when color TV's coming out. In other words, I was black and white TV, and the color's coming out, and all of a sudden, on your color TV shows up a guy with a strange-looking tongue. People thought their TVs were screwed up. <laughs> uh, the switchboard lit up, and uh, I kind of laughed about it. Uh, I didn't know that I had a green tongue at that time, but when the switchboard lit up, people started talking about it, I realized that I'd done it with a Clorette. So about three months later, I did the same thing for my own personal enjoyment and a, and a laugh, and I had the green tongue again. The switchboard lit up again. And uh, from that time on, I had the very best breath in all of wrestling. <laughs> now, uh, you're a pretty intimidating guy in the wrestling ring, but we hear you know wrestling is a sport full of practical jokers. Uh, did anyone ever try to pull any pranks on you? You know, no one ever messed with my my uh, my my body or any of my my anything in my in my suitcase and all that because I wouldn't have you know that would have been a problem a serious problem. Uh, I didn't mind a few head game type ribs, but that other stuff that some of the guys pulled, no, it was that no that didn't happen to me and it wouldn't because it would be a real problem. All right, not acceptable. Yep, absolutely. Uh, now you're a two-time wrestling Hall of Famer. WWE Hall of Fame in 95, and then the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame as well. Um, are you satisfied with the way your wrestling career turned out? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, first of all, I didn't plan on being a wrestler. I never worked at it. It just happened. And uh, somehow I got very good at it. Now, I could re- you know, I could wrestle in a, on a mat. I was a wrestling coach for... 17 or 18 years in Madison Heights, we won a state championship and had a lot of state champions. But pro wrestling is a bit different, and uh, it, it come to me fairly natural. At first, when I first saw what it was all about, when I went to the gym, I started showing me how to work. Uh, I thought they was challenge my integrity as an athlete. I really didn't like it. But once I learned to relax and understand the art of the work, I really enjoyed professional wrestling and, 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 and put it very in a very high esteem for my life. Um, just kind of the way it worked. All right. Now, uh, you are well known for your involvement with uh, Randy Savage, but people seem to forget you played a major role in the WrestleMania three match with uh, Savage and Steamboat. Uh, that match is highly regarded as one of the best matches of all time. Uh, when you were there watching it live, did you realize just how special that match uh, would turn out to be? Oh, boy. That match happened to be at the uh, the uh, Joe, not the Joe Louis, the uh, Palace, I know, the, the Silver Dome in Detroit, which is about 15 minutes from my home where I lived at that time. And the, the idea that I was going to be at, in a corner with, with uh, the dragon and Elizabeth was going to be in the other corner and I was supposed to be schmitten over her really didn't get me too excited, to be honest with you. I would much rather had my own match in my hometown, in a, you know, in the largest event that there ever has been in an indoor event. And uh, so I was a little bit disappointed in that part of it. And then the match was, 
it was a, it was a great match for the fans, but it was so redundant, overdone so many times, and and talked about so much and how they were going to do it that actually it got kind of boring for me. I, we didn't know back in that day. That was a new breed doing things a different way. We used to call almost everything that happened in the ring while it was happening. This was all pretty much predetermined. But it was predetermined very well. So, so the, you know, my take on it was a little bit different than the fans. Uh, so be it. That's just the way it is. Absolutely. Now, uh, Randy was an excellent wrestler and a great performer. With it was a great, uh, great profession. I'm not knocking either one of those guys. That was a great match. Just not one that. I was excited about being around. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so is there a certain match maybe that uh, you were a part of either early on in your career or later on in your career that you really, really enjoyed? I, I, I was very blessed once I, uh, once I, you know, got the mask off. Now, I worked with a lot of guys, you know, guys that you don't know of uh, early on. In fact, Randy Savage's father, Angelo Papa, was one of them in the Detroit area when I was wrestling the students. So I had great strength there. Then when I came to the WWF and then the WWF, I had an opportunity to wrestle with the greatest of all time, so many of them. I had some great matches in every major arena in the Northeast with Bruno Sammartino, who I think is the greatest champion of all time, regardless of any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had an opportunity, and I worked with the, the next champion, babyface champion, was Pedro Morales. And I had a short run with him because he only had the title for about a year and a half, three years. Then on come Bobby Backlund, who uh, was a great champion, regardless of what people think. Uh, he was around there for about eight or nine years as a champion. And then uh, I had a, a short run uh, with uh, with the Hulk Hogan. So, you know, I covered a long spirit of some great, great champions. Uh, I think that uh, of those I just named, probably... The WWF champions, they might have been the greatest of all time. Uh, just the, Bruno, I think, had the belt twice, and it covered a long period of time, like I, I think it was 12 or 13 years. Uh, Bobby, the same situation. And then Hulk Hogan changed the business forever with his uh, great charisma and, and uh, his uh, look in the ring. So, yeah, um, after that, uh, a lot of guys have changed the belt and so on and so forth, but I don't know if any of that has really impacted the business, like the ones I just named. All right. Uh, now, in in the world of wrestling today, there seem to be less characters. Uh, do you think that there might be room for a character like the animal to exist today? Maybe an updated version of what you did. Uh, it could be, but business has changed a lot, and uh, the, you know, the, the the name of the wrestler or the the talent is not that important. Vince has done a great job of of marketing. The, the name of the company, WWE, is more like the circus coming to town. And so when the WWE is coming to town, or the circus was coming to town years ago, they didn't put the names of the guys on the high wire up there, who's going to be in the cage with the lions, all that stuff. It was just part of the circus. And I think that's kind of what's happened to the business now. Whatever's going on during the matches or during the show is just part of the show. It's the WWE show. So I don't know of any name that really is out there that is any bigger than the WWE. Can you think of one wrestler that has a bigger name than the WWE? No. Unless it's Vince McMahon? No. I mean, so that's just how I see it. Sure. That's not a knock. It's just a, 
a great way to do the business. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, um, a lot of people, if they haven't read your book, um, they may not know, but you've also um, served sort of as an inspiration probably to a lot of people. Um, You had dyslexia and also Crohn's disease. Now, do people come up to you now and, um, you know, talk to you about that? Or do you ever talk to, you know, school groups or anything about those sorts of things that you... Oh, yeah. I have a website, georgetheanimalsfield.com, and I have people coming on it often talking about the dyslexia. They might have a problem with their children, although their problem that they have today is not anywhere near what I had. Because back when I was a kid in the, in the 40s, in the early 50s, they didn't know what dyslexic was. So it was just okay to go sit in the back of the room. I mean, you know, as a big dummy, go sit in the back of the room because he couldn't hardly read or write. Uh, what they have found out about people with dyslexia, they're, they're basically they have great memories and they're very, very intelligent people. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, lawyers, uh, well, I don't want to go that direction. <laughs> I don't want to go that direction. But, uh, doctors and uh, people, uh, Einstein was very dyslexic. So what can I tell you? Um, once I, once they figured out what was going on, uh, and I got through Michigan State barely. The book talks about that too. Uh, it talks about the dyslexia, then going to Michigan State, not really being able to read or write, having my struggles there. Uh, by the time I got out and getting into the, the, the high school with teaching and coaching, things are starting to you know level out a little bit with my dyslexia and my uh, my way of handling it. Um, uh, three years ago, I was really humbled when I got a uh, phone call from one of the board members at Madison High School where I coached telling me that they were going to name the stadium after me. That was humbling. And I, I didn't think it was worthy. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't think you should do that right now. And they said, why not? I said, well, an honor like that should not be given to anyone until after they're dead because we can still screw up. <laughs> they said, well, we're, we're going to do it anyhow. We'd like to have you come and take part in it. So I did, and it was a wonderful, humbling experience. But again, uh, to me, that, that that's bigger than the. Uh, I'm also in the uh, Michigan Football Coaches Hall of Fame and the in the Michigan Coaches Hall of Fame. So you know, the, those Hall of Fames to me are just as much as important as the WWE or or the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. They're all great honors. Sure. Uh, now, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you're an accomplished actor. Uh, how did you decide that you wanted to be on the big screen? Well, I just didn't really, I didn't make that decision. Like everything else, it just <laughs> happened. Sure. I, I got a phone call from uh, Tim Burton telling me that they're going to make this movie, Ed Wood, and that I looked like one of the major characters, uh, Tor Johnson, who was a wrestler, and uh, that I looked an awful lot like him, and... Uh, that was kind of flattering. I thought, wow, I look like a movie star. <laughs> and then when I finally got the part and started researching it, I found out that Tor Johnson was the first guy to do monster movies without makeup. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> now, about that, I, I found a little piece of uh, information. I guess that they weren't they account- accounting on you to being so quick. And uh, so athletic whenever they filmed it. So they actually made you, uh, I don't know if this is true or not. This is just something I read. They actually made you wear things to slow you down a bit when you were filming. Is that true? I have a, I have a pair of shoes yet that they had on me that uh, elevated me like five inches taller because Tor Johnson was 6'9", uh, uh, and I'm only 6, uh, at that time, 6'2". 
still shrinking now, but yeah, that was clumsy to walk in and they dressed me some strange stuff and <laughs> yeah, it was, but you know what? The movie won two academies. It was a black and white movie. One of the accomplishments of Tim Burton and uh, Johnny Depp was just outstanding and, uh, uh, oh, who won the academy? Come on. Was it, uh, Martin Landau? Hey, Martin Landau, thank you. <laughs> no problem. We both need all the help we can get. <laughs> hey, that's all right. What is it that Jim Myers enjoys doing with his spare time? Now, I'm very in, involved in my uh, my church work. Uh, with my, I do a lot on the Internet with my website. I'm involved with a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. It's just uh, my way of trying to give back in many different ways. Uh I mean, you know, I, I still don't look that bad. People ask me, well, do you still wrestle? And I say yes, to get out of bed. <laughs> uh, but I've just been blessed. I'm 78 years old now, so, you know, uh, my life has changed very uh, a whole lot, and it's really become more and more positive. I have a, a great peace with my faith in Jesus and uh, uh, very comfortable with where I'm at in my life now and ready for whatever happens. Well, we also know that you're a huge baseball fan, uh, minor league and major league. Uh, are you a D- Detroit sports fan, though? Oh, absolutely. I even love the Detroit Tigers oh. and the Lions and the Pistons. And the Lions, when you you know, when I was a kid in the 50s, they were pretty good. <laughs> I'm hoping that they get to a Super Bowl before I pass on. But that's getting to be a little tough. When they let Sue get away, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> Well, we um, we definitely want to just thank you so much for coming on today. I know that you're uh, a busy gentleman. You mentioned that you have a, a website, georgianimalsteel.com. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any other thing that you have out there, or are, do you mainly just communicate through there? I do a lot of my community. I was going out and doing a lot of speaking engagements and doing personal appearances and shows like we're going to be doing uh, in Rhode Island. But with my health challenges, I, I haven't done anything for a year. I just cut everything down. The guy that I'm coming in with, uh, Joe is bringing me in, and he's just a good guy. He's bringing me my wife with me, which makes life a lot easier for me and her. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to this event probably more than any because it's been so long since I've done anything. Well, we're, we'll be at both of those. We cannot wait to uh, talk with you some more. We thank you so much for being on today. And... Uh, June 27th in Providence, Rhode Island, and June 28th in Fishkill, New York. So, Mr. Jim Myers, George the Animal Steel, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, no, thank you for having time for this old guy. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. All right, once again, thank you to George the Animal Steel. Guys, uh, if you didn't hear at the top of the show, we're going to tell you again. Head on over to CollectorsRealm.net. George the Animal Steel will be live and in person at the New England Fan Fest on June 27th. Also at Collector's Realm on June 28th over in Fishkill, New York. So whether, wherever you're located in the Northeast, you have two days and uh, two chances to, to meet uh, this WWE Hall of Famer and legend. Uh, 
So guys, don't miss that opportunity um, to, to meet this great guy. And he, he's great with everybody. I mean, I remember I met him a few times. He lets me uh, put him in a headlock, choke him out a little bit. And uh, at the end of the day, you walk away with a great photo. So guys, uh, I can't stress it enough. Once again, thanks again to Collector's Realm and the New England Fan Fest guys. You have two chances to meet him uh, coming up. So stay tuned about that, huh? Yeah, and um, we have so many more jobs to talk about, but we would be here all day if we talked about them all. So we're just gonna gonna kind of pick out some of the better ones that I would say. So I have to talk about a group. Now this group had a a singular job. They all came in, and this was later on. So this once again wasn't around the '90s. This was in the 2000s. And they were tag team champions. They were the Spirit Squad. And they were all male cheerleaders. So they were brought in by Mr. McMahon. And for what reason, a lot of people will never know. But they were by far my favorite characters and jobs of all time. I used to dress up like them and go to house shows. And people (laughs) would just hate me. Like, they would literally hate me. So if you're listening to this and you remember... That time period, like yelling at some guy dressed up like a cheerleader, it was me, and I apologize for nothing. <laughs> Man, no offense, Jonathan. I know you like him, but I, I just never, I never really liked him that much. I don't know. I never really, I don't know. I just didn't like him. I, I just know. loved, <laughs> I just loved their theme. Whenever it was just like Nikki, Johnny, <laughs> Mikey, that was it. It was just so amazing. So um, I watch a lot of like, I, I think I own like every piece of spirit squad merchandise that there was which there wasn't a lot i'll be honest but yeah (laughs) jonathan owns it all so if you guys are a big spirit squad fan uh jonathan has all the memorabilia ever made and and send me anything that i don't have (laughs) well uh well why you're why you were liking the spirit squad jonathan uh, i do want to talk a little bit about some of the dancing the dancer gimmicks that we've had through the years uh from disco inferno to uh brodus clay his horrible debut on that but We've had a few dancers come and go, uh, but the one dancer who's kind of stuck around and the fans have gotten behind is Fandango, Jonathan. Uh, uh, that's uh, that's Fandango. That's right. Uh, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, you were there, WrestleMania, the Raw after WrestleMania 29. Uh, the fans loved it. They loved doing the da-da. Da, 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 da. You know what I mean. Uh, who would have thought, Jonathan? Who would have thought this kind of dancing gimmick would ever go over? Because, I mean, with Brodus Clay, that kind of failed. Uh, people wanted him to be a monster. They gave him a dancing bear gimmick kind of thing, and it was just like, eh, I liked it for a minute. And then, you know, like, even like the Rikishis to where, he, you know, that wasn't his main thing, but, you know, another dancing gimmick. And then, who could forget Disco Inferno? Uh, the true the true legend of the dancing gimmick. Uh, but Fandango, man, what do you think? I mean, he's probably, I mean, he, granted he hasn't had the greatest career as of late, but I mean, he had a WrestleMania match. <laughs> uh, and the fans still love it. I don't know what they plan on doing with him anymore, but I mean, do you think Fandango could be the last of the dancers? He, he may be for a while. And you know what? He's like such a great talent, even without being a dancer uh whenever they had nxt not the one that they have now but the competition show i thought the two best things on that show were 
Johnny Curtis, who's Fandango, and Derek Bateman. Um, they were like the two greatest things that ha- had happened for a long time. Um, and also, if you haven't seen that, get on YouTube and check out those clips because they're hilarious. So uh, I think Fandango will be around for a while. They may give him another uh, character change, but I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking that he's going to do some big things in the future. Sure. All right, Jonathan. Well, hey, everybody's heard us talk about all these jobs and all these wrestlers that they've had. Uh, can you think of maybe I'll throw you on the spot a past and a present that maybe somebody that we didn't already talk about, if you could just, you know, wrangle in your brain somebody uh, in the past who you just really thought was awesome and maybe somebody in the present who okay. has a job that you, you really like today? All right. Um, so as far as the past, somebody that I really liked um, for obvious reasons was, was Val Venus. Um, his his job was to be a porn star. Um he came in during the Attitude Era, you know, and for all of you who are listening right now, we spoke with Val Venus, and you should go back and listen to that show and all of our other shows on iTunes. But um, Val Venus was a great gimmick. I thought it was hilarious. Um, it was, I don't think it was oh, before its time. I think it was one of those that fell right in, in line with it. Uh, it got a little silly when Kai and Ty got involved, but that's neither here nor there but uh, as far as today goes and and gimmicks that are jobs it's uh i don't know that's difficult i don't know that there are very many that are around today i can think of one but i don't want to take that one right now because you may you may use it here at the end so um i'm gonna flip the script as they say as you kids say and i'm gonna ask you to think of one that's uh popular uh, in the past and one that you like now. Well, Jonathan, uh, one we haven't mentioned I would like to, to bring up. I know not a lot of people liked him, but during the time period that I was growing up, I loved him. My family loved him. Uh, and, you know, he just brought entertainment every time we went to the show. And that would be Brutus the Barber, Beefcake, man. Uh, he cut people's hair in the ring when he when he beat them. He brought out huge hedge clippers that are were supposed to be scissors. Uh, how could you not like Brutus the Barber Beefcake uh, growing up as a kid? I mean, he was just a big barber. I don't know. I mean, it was fun. He was always entertaining. And then he became, you know, pretty much Hulk Hogan's buddy. And uh, the, the rest is history. But uh, I don't know. Were you? Did you? I, don't know, I loved him. Did you love uh, yeah. Brutus the Barber? Yeah, I, I loved Brutus Beefcake. His outfits left a little bit to be desired, <laughs> but um, other than that, yeah, he was a he was a good performer. That's right. And uh, so the, currently, I know you, we said we couldn't really think because there really isn't too many guys. Like I said, it's pretty much everybody just has a name, uh, almost, or unless they just have a really gimmicky uh, character. But I mean, we already talked Fandango too, so I'm not going to use him. But if I had to pick one other person, Jonathan, in today's day and age, if you will, that has a job. Uh, I, I, I guess I mean, this is still a true legend, and I guess you can kind of count it as a job. But Jonathan, none other than Jerry the King Lawler. I mean, he's always going to be the king, no matter who wins the King of the Ring. Uh, he's always royalty, huh? Yeah. Gotta, someone's got to do it. It's good to be the king, right? It is great to be the king. That is not the one I was thinking of, so now I'm glad that I can say this. Probably the most... Um, long-lasting job that he started out as this person he's still this person and that would have to be the undertaker that's right um 
he started out with Paul Bear, which is another job, really, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. And um, they built, you know, caskets. They did the whole thing. He started out as an Undertaker. He is still the Undertaker. So uh, I think that's probably the most famous wrestler who had a full-time job as well as wrestling that uh, ever lived. So I, I think The Undertaker definitely takes takes the cake. That's right, Jonathan. I couldn't agree with you more, The Undertaker. Jonathan, we talked about a lot of jobs here and there uh, from yesterday and today. Uh, it's interesting because, like, you know, we had the reality era, the attitude era. Back in the 90s, I guess you could call that, like, the job era pretty much. Like, everybody's character had that, you know, big job or whatnot. Um, wow. It's fun to think about, though. It's good to talk about. And once again, guys, everybody listening out there, let us know. What, who did we leave out? Did you have, you know, gimmicks or people who had these jobs that you just really hated? Or ones that you just really loved? Let us know. Anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, and uh, let us know. Community Calendar. And coming up on July 18th from 12 to 2 p.m., Tito Santana will be in Beacon, New York at Tito Santana's Taqueria. No relation, but guys, head on over to tacosantana.com, head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com, find out more information, how you can meet and greet Tito Santana, and get a free taco. That's right, Steve, and we're also going to be at Northeast Wrestling's Wrestling Under the Stars for August 1st, 2015 in Fishkill, New York. You'll get to see such legends as Rick Flair... Mickey James, Alberto El Patron, Rey Mysterio Jr., The Young Bucks, Jerry the King Lawler, NXT's own Samoa Joe, Northeast Wrestling Champion Matt Taven, Brian Anthony, the genius Lanny Poffo, and much, much more. As we are headed on our way to the New England Fan Fest, we're going to be talking to Jim Ross on June 25th, the weekend right before Fan Fest. Guys, so what a lineup. A lot of great guests coming up in the next few weeks, so make sure you subscribe to us and don't miss a show. It's easy, guys. Head on over, like Jonathan said, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Click on all the buttons on the top, all the links from iTunes to Stitcher to Player FM to tune in. We're out there. Like us, follow us, and subscribe to us. And Jonathan, if you're looking for some clothes to wear uh, and you don't really have anything to wear for a night out on the town and uh, maybe you're going to a wrestling show and you just need a new shirt, well, head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Another Wrestling Podcast. Pick up some original AWP shirts. We want to thank all of our fans and listeners out there, so tune in next week for... <sighs> another Wrestling Podcast. 